At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's super cold out. Love it. Um, my truck does not love it. I don't think it warmed up until I got here. That's what I get for owning a diesel. But um, it's, uh, it's good to be with you guys. If you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Please turn there for me. Um, and so here's, you guys are in for a little bit of a treat this morning because the computer in the back doesn't work, which means I don't have slides and I don't have a timer. So... Uh, <laughs> Dig your heels in, we're gonna go for it, all right? I got my Bible, I got a sticky note, we can do this. So um, if you have, if you, if, if you were with us last week, we were talking about Jonah, and, and what we wanna understand is who Jonah is, where he falls in line, and, and today we're gonna be talking about fear, all right? a reverent type of fear. And so in, in order to understand where we're at today, we, wanna, we have to understand who Jonah is. So in the Bible, he's what we call a minor prophet. And if you know, there's one of 12 of the minor prophets. And minor prophet doesn't mean that he's any less important than anybody else. It just means that the book is shorter, okay? So Jeremiah, Isaiah, long, drawn out. They had a lot of stuff going on. With some of these minor prophets, they were just shorter books, okay? Jonah is the only prophet to not speak to Israel directly. So he has an asterisk next to his name if you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee because he did not speak to Israel. He sp spoke to the Gentiles and called them to repentance. So they didn't like that very much, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, he's, he's a minor prophet, spoke to Gentiles. Okay, and so understand that why would a man of God, a prophet of the Most High God, deliberately, as Pastor Vince said last week, disobey him, show deliberate defiance as to what God told him to do? Why would he do that? What makes somebody who knows God so well and who was called to the nation of Israel to be one of their prophets, when God says go right, he went left, and a hard left at that. And so you have to understand where the context of where he was living, what he was living through. So here's Israel. If you've read the Old Testament at all, Israel has a bad habit of not following God. God has called Israel to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Israel, from time to time, over and over and over and over again, doesn't do that. Okay, so he calls them out of Egypt. Here's a great example. He calls them out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. I can only imagine seeing fish on both sides. And they get to the other side. Shortly after, what do they do? They make a golden calf and they worship that. Right? God has called them to worship him, and over and over again, they don't do that. They worship anything but. And we're at a moment, like a critical part here, where God has called Israel to repent for not worshiping him, and they don't. And he does it again. He, several times, he's called Israel to repent, and they refuse to do so. They continue to worship other gods. They continue to have other idols. They won't destroy what's supposed to be destroyed. And so here we are in this weird kind of conundrum where God's calling them to repentance, and they refuse. So God finally says, okay, if you won't, somebody else will. And he tells Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. And so here's where, here's where it gets kind of crazy with Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, okay? And so you have to know who the Assyrians were. They were the arch enemy, a wicked, vile people that hated Israel, and Israel hated them. During Jeroboam I, right, the, um, Assyria attacked 
the Israelites several times and they would kept pushing them back further and further. And so now they owned a majority of the northern part of Judea had become part of the Syrian nation and Israel hated it. We are chosen by God. How could this be? Never thinking, should we repent for worshiping other gods? They just get angry and worship other gods more, right? And so Assyria takes over. So as they own most of that northern territory, in comes King Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonians come in, they attack the Assyrians, and they defeat them. Jeroboam II sees an opportunity to attack the Assyrians back and take his property back. And he does, and he wins. And so now, the Israelites are pounding their chests. They got puffy chests. Look what we did. We, we did it. Obviously, God is not showing favor on the Assyrians anymore. He's showing us favor. Well, look at how awesome we are. Again, never repenting for worshiping other gods, never loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, still worshiping everything but, and yet they think they're amazing. And so they're a bit, if you will, of elitists. Does that make sense? They're Israelites. They're chosen by God, and they are not. So we're better than you. And so here comes Jonah. And this is what the first verse of Jonah says. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amidia, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so this word arise, you have to understand, it's not just get up and go. It's take haste, go quickly, don't waste any time, hurry up, go to Nineveh. I want you to go there because their sins, their evil, wicked, vile ways have come before me and I want you to go preach to them, preach against them so that they will repent and worship me. And Jonah could not have that. Imagine the hatred you have to have for a nation that you will ignore God. And Jonah knows that he can't, he's not dumb, he knows he can't hide from God right? But at best, what he's hoping for is to delay him. If he can delay God long enough by going the opposite way, that maybe he would destroy Nineveh and he wouldn't have to go. And he says this, right? Because if, here's the, here's the, the spoiler alert, right? He ends up going to Nineveh and he preaches against it. And what do they do? They repent. And listen to how Jonah responds to Nineveh repenting in chapter four. He says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He was angry that his arch enemies had repented. How could you do that, God? And he knew that was going to happen. He knew that God calling him there was going to lead to that. So what? he's slow to anger. If I can delay a few months by going to um, Tarshish, maybe God will destroy them and I won't have to go. The bitterness, the anger, the pride, the arrogance to think that you could do that. Think of what he, now, and I love this because he is, he's a bitter old prophet and yet God still uses him. God's still gonna use him despite all his flaws, despite the fact that he's gonna ignore God. He still uses him. 
Jonah had to go through, through some things, but he still found a way to use them. And so here's chapter one, verse four, and this is where we're gonna start because this is what we wanna understand today that as we read through the text today, we're gonna see a few things. We're gonna hear this word fear. Fear, the sailors that we're about to talk about had a fear of who God is. And because of that fear, they repent and they come to know the Lord. And so here's our big idea for today. It says, reverent fear is a healthy part of submissive faith. Reverent fear, fearing God is okay. It's, it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's, it's an important part of who we are. Knowing that God is the almighty God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, being a little afraid of his power, his glory, his holiness is a good thing. I used to love the idea of, you know, the, putting the fear of God in people. Like my dad growing up, he was a crazy European. And if, you, if you've never had like a European type dad-ish, right, belt comes off faster than the mouth moves. Okay, can we kind of say that with you without like you guys not liking my dad? I love my dad. He's great. He passed away, but he's a great man. But I remember a specific story of the fear of God being put in me when at church sitting in, in the back row and we went to a really small kind of Baptist, very somber, quiet church. And I sat with my friends and made way too much noise that a lot of people were turning around and looking. In that moment when my dad turned around and made eye contact with me, I felt like my soul left. I got the cold sweats because I knew what was about to happen after church which was scary because it didn't happen until we got home because he didn't want anybody to hear me scream, right? Remember, like, they used to do these things when we were younger. He didn't do that. It terrified me. But I learned something that day, never to sit with those kids again. The, the nerves of my rear end told my brain, don't ever do it, right? And I didn't. It's the fear of God that he put in me. A little bit of fear is good. A reverent fear of who God is is so important. The, the, the TV series Chosen, Love that series. Just started watching it. Way behind the eight ball on it. Apologize for that because we're way behind. But the first time Peter meets Jesus and realizes that he's the Messiah. Have you seen that? He drops to his knees trembling. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy. I'm a sinful man. He trembled at the sight of who God is. We need to have that. And so Jonah and the Israelites did not. Jonah didn't fear God. If he truly feared God, wouldn't he have just gone to Nineveh? They might have argued back and forth a little bit. Fine, like you read through some of these, you know, the prophets and the judges, they might have conversation with God. Like Habakkuk, when you read it, he argues like, no, God, you wouldn't really destroy us. Well, I'm gonna destroy you. you are your... They argue, fine, but he still ends up submitting to what God tells him to do. And yet here we stand with Jonah. Nope, I'm not doing it. I don't like them that much. And they were a bit terrifying as well. But we'll get to that next week. Chapter 1, verse 4 says this. Jonah goes down. He pays his money to get, to the, get on the boat to go to Tarshish. And verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. A great tempest. These are not rookie sailors. This is what they do for a living. A little bit of wind, no big deal. A storm, we've been there, done that. This is a supernatural storm. 
a storm they have never seen before. Such a great storm that they're willing to throw their cargo the money that they were going to make, they're willing to throw it overboard to save their lives. They're going to get to Tarshish with nothing. And they're willing to do that to save their lives. They were afraid. A supernatural storm they had never seen before. Calling out to their gods. Remember, they don't know who the true God of heaven and earth is. They don't know who Yahweh is. So they're calling out to the gods of water, the gods of wind. Any god that they could think of, they were calling out, please stop. It was getting really bad. And what does Jonah do? Goes, takes a nap. He goes to sleep. And here's, here's my movie reference. If you guys have been here long enough, I always reference a movie. It's called The Usual Suspects. They're um, five guys get put in jail. They're thugs, if you will. They're criminals. They get put in jail together. And three of them are walking around all kind of scatterbrained. Why are we here? I didn't do anything. One is sleeping and the other ones are talking to each other. And the main guy says, I've learned three things in my time of being a criminal. One, it's never a coincidence when five of us end up in jail like this. Two, I don't really like other criminals. And three, I can always tell who's guilty. He's sleeping. Right? He's sleeping because he knows he's been caught. So he might as well get some rest. Jonah knows he's been caught. He can't run from God. He can't even delay him. All right, death is the next option. I guess death isn't bad. I'll take death over going to Nineveh. I'll take that. So he takes a nap, and the captain comes down and says, Arise. The same arise that's in verse 1. Get up, take haste, quickly call out to your God. Maybe he'll show favor on us. Maybe he'll slow the wind down. And Jonah gets up half-heartedly, knows what's going on. He knows it's because of him. We'll see that here. He knows it's because of him. Again, at best, death is okay. I don't have to go to Nineveh. The bitterness, the pride, the arrogance, the hatred that he has for the Assyrians is something just special. Verse 7 says this, and this is after they've communicated. And he says, and, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell of Jonah. Surprise. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So they cast lots. The idea of casting lots is this. You take stones, or I think of drawing straws. Right? The idea of drawing straws, you take straws and whoever draws a short straw, it's on you. It's that idea of casting lots. Take stones, put it in front of whoever you want, and it fell on Jonah. I know, you guys are all surprised, right? It fell on Jonah. And so what, is, what do they do? They begin to ask questions. They begin to ask questions. Why? Why? And here's our first characteristic of somebody who has reverent fear. The first characteristic is this. That people who fear God seek God with their questions. There's our first point. They seek God with their questions. They're asking multiple questions. Who are you? On what account is this happening? They're searching for answers. And those of you who have had that relationship with Jesus, right, who have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you know that that happens. There's questions. You don't know things. You're questioning why, what, what's going on. That's where they're at right now. They're in the beginning stages of really learning who the Most High God is. And Jonah's response is just, it's special, if you will. So listen to verse 9. I'll read that and then we'll... And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He's a prophet of the most high God, and he starts with this. I'm a Hebrew. 
His ethnicity is more important than being a prophet of the Most High God. Understand that. He's more important as a Hebrew than as a prophet. He's so prideful and so bitter towards them that he would start with that. And then he follows it up by giving God a bit of lip service by saying, and I fear the Lord, the God of the heavens. Do you? Do you truly fear him? Because if you did, when he called you, you would have went. I laugh at it. Be like, like, he's giving God lip service. And this happens all the time with us. It's a fear of mine always that I'm going to be somebody who just knows how to say the right things and how to talk, but my life doesn't show it. I'm this guy. Show me. Show me. Show me you're afraid of God, Jonah. Show me you are. And, and I love the idea when it kind of correlates to us as Christians. Don't come at me with all your awesome theology, which if you know me, I love theology. It's really important to me. It really is. Um, but when you just say it and don't live it, show me. Live your theology out. Live your Christian life out. There's this, there's a, there, there's a few people here in, that, um, that we're buddies, okay? We, we know them pretty well. And they, um, they're on the other side of me. They don't agree with me on a few things, okay? And the way I know this is because Austin, who runs the slides in the back, is on the other side, and he turned my slides off, I think on purpose, because I said this in the first service, okay? So he's on the, now listen, I pray for these guys every night. Because we're just, we don't agree. We're never gonna agree on this. There's nothing that he can do that is gonna change my mind, and I'm just gonna tell you why we disagree. And, and here's the thing. They're state fans, okay? They're state fans. We pray for them. Okay? And so, because they're on the other side, we get to pick on each other. Now, here, here's the thing. Um, I love this joke. Here's my favorite joke when it comes to Michigan State fans, and I'll relate it here quick. Do you know how you can tell there's a Michigan State fan in the room? Wait five minutes, they'll tell you. <laughs> like that? Yeah, all you Michigan fans laugh. It goes both ways. Technically, when I heard the first time, Gary told me it the opposite way from Michigan. But you know how you can tell there's somebody who does CrossFit in the room? Wait five minutes, they'll tell you, right? They, uh, do you know how, like, forgive me, I'm not picking on vegetarians, but do you know how you can tell somebody's a vegetarian? They instantly tell you. Like, I don't know why they lead with that. Like, I like, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a vegetarian. Uh, okay, I'm not, cool, right? Do you know how you can tell there's a hardcore theologian in the room? Wait five minutes, they'll tell you. I don't want you to tell me, I want you to show me. Show me the way you live your life. Show me the way that you treat your wife and the way you treat your kids and the way you treat your husbands. Show me your theology that way. Don't tell me it. Don't tell me this is what the Bible says and how to raise your kids and what the Bible says. Show me that you're doing it. A true leader in that way does that. Hey, we're super humble. We're super. I'm like the most humble person in the world. Are you? Show me. I don't have to, you don't have to tell me you're humble. Show me you're humble. Right? Show me you're modest. Don't tell me you're modest. Show it to me. Be modest. Be humble in every aspect of the way you live. Jonah doesn't do any of that. Jonah is the exact opposite of that. I fear the Lord. No, you don't. Show me, Jonah. Show me that you feel the, fear the Lord. And he just simply does not. And so then what we're going to see in verse 10 here is that, that this happens. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. They were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. 
Then, he said to, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea grew even more temptuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed harder to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew even more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleases you. The second thing we're going to see is that people who truly feel the Lord, the characteristic of people who truly fear the Lord, call out to God on their struggles. They're struggling, right? Like, understand that. They're about to die. They think death is what's next for them. Every wave, every blow of wind, they're thinking death is on the corner. And yet they're calling out to God, which is amazing because five minutes earlier they were calling out to anything but that God. They were calling out to Yahweh earlier. They were calling out to the God of the water, God of the wind. Now they're calling out to the true God, the God of heaven, the, the Yahweh God, our God, if you will. And so what do they do? They have this moment where they're like, we don't know what to do. And they're willing to sacrifice their life for Jonah's. He said, throw me into the water. What do they do? They row harder. We can do this. We can do this on our own. Paddle harder. We can get back to dry land. And they can't. They can't do it. They're willing to sacrifice their lives for one. And yet Jonah is not willing to take his own life to Nineveh for 120 plus thousand people. He just doesn't want to do it. So the Lord has to teach him a bit of a lesson here, right? And so what happens is, is they call out to God. They're, they're coming to God with their, with their struggles. We don't want to throw them overboard, God. Is there a different way? Can we paddle harder? Please don't put this innocent man's blood on us. Don't do it. They're re starting to create this relationship with God. Like they're calling out to him. They're talking to him. It's an amazing story of redemption for these mariners. They're, no, they're starting to know. They're fearing God. So they pick Jonah up in, in, in verse 15. So they pick up Jonah and hurl him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. Our last point is this, that people who truly fear God respond to God with a submissive worship. They worship God. After the sea had stopped, what they do? They offered up sacrifices and they made vows to honor God in their lives. And the sea had to stop. A sacrifice had to be made. And here's the thing. The reason it had to be made, and it's not a popular thing to say, because God's wrath had to be satisfied. We don't like to talk about fearing God and God being angry and, and have, having wrath because lately all you hear from sermons is, God is love. God is love. And if God is love, we should be love, and love is love. Don't know what that means. Okay, I'm not really sure how that works, but God is love, yes. He is 100% love. And in as much as he is love, he is also just. And as much as he is just, he is holy. And so when you're 100% holy and 100% just and 100% love, there are certain things you can't be around. Holiness cannot be around sin. Jonah deliberately defied God and a sacrifice had to be made. There wasn't the only time sacrifices were made. If you go back to Levit Leviticus chapter 16, they cast lots on the day of atonement. 
So the day of atonement for the Israelites was the day where they sacrificed something that would forgive their sins for the entire year, that they could still be in relationship with the Lord. And so they cast lots and it fell on a goat. And they sent the goat out to the wilderness. That's where we get the term scapegoat. It was the goat that would go out through wilderness that sacrificed to atone for their sins for the year, that they might have a relationship with the Lord for that year. And in just as much, Jonah had to be sacrificed to atone for the sins that he had committed, deliberately defying God. And, and here's the thing with it, right? When you think of God's holiness not being able to be around sin, like think of us as Christians, like when you first became a Christian and that sanctification process started, that vivification, if you will, becoming more holy, more like Christ, certain things should begin to bother us. Certain jokes aren't funny anymore. They're like nails in a chalkboard. It should be. Certain movies, same thing. Certain words, they just should bother us. Like, there should be this change in us, right? God has imparted part of that holiness to us that we might learn from it. The Holy Spirit teaches us. Now, like, if that hasn't happened, if you're the same that you were 15 years ago when you gave your life, you have to question that. Like, are you growing in the Lord? Are you understanding what he's saying in the scriptures? Are you studying? Are you praying? Are you changing? For this, not for salvation, but because of salvation. Are, it, are you different? It should be like nails on a chalkboard. And that Jonah deliberately disobeying God, nails on a chalkboard. And now you have to think like how many millions of people exist on the planet over and over and over again not worshiping God. Worshiping anything but. You know what that must feel like to God? 100% holy. 100% just. His wrath had to be satisfied. It had to be. And I love the Old Testament because here's the Old Testament. If you've never read the Old Testament this way, you're missing it. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. When you read this story, it's the redemption story that God gives through his grace to Nineveh. And when you correlate it to who Jesus is, it's a direct correlation. This is the story of Jesus coming down from heaven for us, for anybody who would believe, who would repent and believe and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is the story of Jesus coming down for us. Do you feel the weight of that? And here's what Jesus says, because understand, remember, I told you earlier, the, the, the Pharisees didn't acknowledge Jonah as anybody, right? And so there was a moment in, in, in the New Testament where the Pharisees will say, no prophet has ever come out of Galilee. Well, Jonah was from Galilee. And they didn't accept him because he didn't preach to Israel. He went to the Gentiles. And it was one of the largest conversions of Gentiles in the Old Testament to Christianity. You can imagine the elitists not really liking that. And so when Jesus comes down and he's preaching that there's a new salvation, no more ritualistic sacrifices year after year that you guys just do monotonously like over and over and over again, there will be one sacrifice that will atone for everyone's sins that accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, he, and so the Pharisees are questioning Jesus over and over. Show us signs. Show us, show us some miracles. Jonah, er, Jesus kind of throws it back in their face. And it's Matthew 12, uh, verse 20, or 39. And this is what Jesus answered them when they keep questioning for signs. He says, but he answered, 
An even adulterous generation seeks for signs, but no one, but no sign will be given to it except the signs of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He pushes it back. Like, it's a direct correlation. Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days. And this wasn't like a warm-blooded mammal whale. This was a disgusting fish. You can't imagine what that must have been like, the disgustingness of it, the, the evil, wicked bile of a stomach, the digestive things that happened there. You can only imagine what that's like. And Jesus suffered the same thing, the sins of the world on his shoulders, the pain that he endured for us, and yet we sometimes deliberately disobey. Jesus bearing our sins in as much pain as he went through with the physical, the spiritual was to a new end because he was so connected with the Father in heaven. And when he bore our sins, everybody who accepts those sins, he bore those. And what did, Jesus, what did God do? He couldn't. He was so holy, he couldn't look at him. He turned his face from his son that connect the pain that Jesus endured. I can't even imagine. And then going down to the depths of Sheol to be there and rising again three days later to never die again for us. He's calling us today to worship him, to worship the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our minds. And that doesn't just mean here spiritually. That means physically too. Worship him with our stuff. Worship him in the way we treat our wives, the way we treat our husbands, the way we treat our kids. Worship him in, in our finances. Worship him in how we talk to customers, to employees, employers. How are we acting? Are we acting like everyone else? Are we Jonah? Are we elitists? Or, or, or are we going to submit to what God has called us to do? We have a video here, and I love this video because I'm going to say this. God has a wonderful way of putting things together. I found out about this video 20 minutes before the sermon started, and we couldn't show the video. We, we, we talked, but we can't show the video. We don't have an answer of what happens in the video. And so God put this video out here, and what I, when we watch it, it's three minutes, watch it in this, that this is what true faith in God looks like. Let's play that video. I got my CT scan back um, recently, and the tumor has grown to a softball size. It's not only in the jaw, but it's in the ear canal, and now it's into my brain. Complicated, right? My name is Debbie Bidigari. I go to here, Romeo Woodside Church. I attend with my family, with my husband, Chip, and my son, Parker. I have had medical challenges um, I've been in the hospital probably more times than I, would e I could even count. I've been diagnosed now for about eight years with a tumor. It's a pseudo-gout tumor in the jaw. I'm the youngest person that's been recorded for this type of tumor. And it's in the, it's in the health journals. Uh, we have talked to many doctors, I've gone to many hospitals, many places that 
deal with special cases. And I've been told many times, many years, sorry, we can't help you. This is too complicated. Through a lot of tears and a lot of praying, just asking God for wisdom, just to guide us because we're lost here. In the past two years, he put a group of surgeons together that have talked to me and said, we can help you. We can do what needs to be done when the time comes. The time is now. I got the news um, a few months ago that this went from just a, a little tumor to a softball size that now has entered the brain. It's critical, we gotta do this, and we gotta do it now. But we serve a good God, we really do. And I know no matter what this outcome's going to be, I've got faith, I trust God. I'll tell you, God has given me peace. He's given me peace to endure this trial, and I can do it. This storm, this trial that's, that's just swirling around me, and people looking at me with their mouths opened up saying, what, I can't believe it. You don't look like anything's wrong with you. That's God, that's not me. Because our God is so good. He is there to give you that peace. And it's just so important to me that if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't accepted him in your heart, that you do so that you please take that time. Get to know him like I know him. He's my best friend. He is my savior. He's my strength. He's my peace. He's the love that I feel from the family around me. So why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Yeah, so that um, we didn't have, we didn't know what happened. <laughs> so we, we get the video and they never gave us an update because the surgery was Friday. And so we didn't, we didn't know, but we got five minutes before service, 10 minutes before service, Vince comes out to me and he puts his arms like, we're going with the video. Um, she recovered, the surgery went well. They saved her jaw, praise God. Yep, um, she's recovering. And <laughs> she made that video not knowing the outcome. It's not like she made the video and like two weeks later, you know, like, or she had the surgery and then she made the video. She made that video trusting fully in our God, that he was gonna do whatever he was gonna do. And that's a beautiful thing. And so my question for us today is, what is God calling you to do? Is he calling you somewhere and you're ignoring it? Are you deliberately disobeying him? Do you have anger in your heart towards something or somebody that you just need to forgive? Maybe you need to go and ask for forgiveness. Maybe that's what's God calling you to do. What is he calling you to do today with that? Let us not be a, a, a nation or a church that ignores those calls. Because here's my fear, and I've said this, I say this all the time from here. My fear is that we become like Israel, the Israelites. Puffing our chest because we know a ton about the Bible but we don't live it. And God is calling us to repent. He's calling us to worship him over and over and over again, and we keep ignoring it. He's calling us to bow our heads, get on one knee, beg for forgiveness, 
and worship him. What is he calling us to do if we're not going to do it? Do you know what happens? The same thing that happened to Israel. If you won't, somebody else will. If you won't, somebody else will. My fear is that. May we never be a church that allows that to happen to us. If God is calling you to do something today, let's do it. Let's pray. God, our holy heavenly Father, we are so thankful that the surgery went well for Debbie. We pray for recovery, that as she's working through that, God, that she'll feel comfort, that her family will be around her. Lord, we pray that as a church, she, um, she just gets back to her church family and her, her immediate family. God, we thank you for being a God that we can serve. We pray that, that we're not a church that, that just deliberately disobeys, but we're a church that seeks after you always. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to focus on you. If there's things in our lives, if there's forgiveness, if there's, we, that we need, to, we need to ask for, we do it. If we need to forgive, help us to do it, God, but never just to ignore it and go the other way. God, we are so in love with you and we pray that you continue to do a great work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.